Searchers Film Podcast, where we aim to discover or rediscover the movies you should know about. Whether you like them or dislike them, you can be the judge of that. I'm your host, Kevin, all the way from Los Angeles, California. Joining me from Danbury, Connecticut is Chris. Say hi. Hi, everybody. And from the dangerous streets of Baltimore, we've got Ben. Say hello, Benjamin. What up, dog? (laughs) (laughs) He's been holding Uh, that in, everybody. I don't live in the city, but (laughs) close enough. Not uh, that close. Geez, you wish. Uh, no, <laughs> How you I'm guys good. Doing? I'm good where I'm at. Uh, great. You, oh, <laughs> I'm alive. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging in. I got COVID right now for the third time. Oh no! Three times. Third time's yeah. a charm, Chris. Third time's COVID. a charm, Look as they that. say. Connecticut, <laughs> Connecticut. Chris has got COVID. Got that the alliter- alliteration. Yeah, man. Oh. It's my favorite. <laughs> my favorite. You're finding your way into my heart with your alliteration. How you doing, Kevin? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Hectic time at work, but I survived. And now I'm on my days off. And I'm right here talking about another movie with you guys. So I'm happy about that. <clears throat> Always something to be happy about. What movie is yes, that, sir? Uh, what are we talking about and, this week? Well, this week we are talking about a 1982 film from Sidney Lumet called The Verdict. Now... This film, uh, not sure it's, if it's deemed a classic among many Lumet fans, but it is to me. And this film is about a once, a while, a while back, a once fresh attorney with a promising career ahead of him named Frank Galvin. And he's devolved into becoming an alcoholic ambulance chaser. But one day, his former partner, Mickey, sends him a medical malpractice case that is likely to be settled out of court. At St. Catherine Labore Hospital, a young woman was given anesthesia during childbirth, causing her to choke on her own vomit and be left comatose and on a ventilator. The plaintiffs, the woman's sister and her brother-in-law, plan to use the settlement to pay for her care. The archdiocese responsible for the hospital hands Frank a hefty check, accumulating up to $210,000, and that's enough to bring his legal practice up and out of the gutter. So this is his chance to make a comeback, but will Frank choose to take that easy way out, or will he bring the case to trial for the sake of the young, comatose girl's life, however little of it is left? Now, the verdict... I mean, Sidney Lumet's filmography, it's, I wouldn't say a blind spot, but I've seen... A few of a few of his films, the famous Network. Uh, if you're into Al Pacino uh, movies like Dog Day Afternoon, uh, Serpico, but the verdict hits a different tone for me. And uh, for you guys, I, Chris, I know that this is your second time watching this film. That's correct. And Ben, for you, it's your no, no, actually, for you too, it's your second time watching this film as well, right? Yeah, it's been about four years. Yep. It's oh, okay. been about it's been about twelve years, twelve or thirteen years for me. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, how did it feel watching uh, revisiting this film after such a long time? For me, this is a very re- well. This is my, my second time watching it, but uh, seeing it twice within uh, just about a couple of months apart from each other really interesting for me. Uh, but how was it for you uh, revisiting? I uh, I remembered Paul Newman his performance pretty well at least the first 15 to 20 minutes were pretty uh 
they seem like a pretty recent memory, but I completely, after that, the plot just, I forgot what the case was about. I forgot the outcome. Um, so it was kind of like press and play at, at 20 minutes in already. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Yeah. And I was in the same place as Ben. I didn't remember much beyond Paul Newman's character. And I think I was so highly anticipating a much more grittier film from Lumet that Mm -hmm. I was let down the first time I watched this. I I got you. And being an older person, you know, more experienced now than I was 13 years ago, I can say that this was a well-needed viewing. Yeah, you really think so? Oh, so definitely not disappointed. Not a disappointing watch. Revisiting not disappointing. Yeah, not disappointing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, so for me, I mean, I had seen, as I said, Network, uh, Dog Day Afternoon. I had only seen once. Uh, I had seen Serpico, and the thing about Lumet is that he's got. There's a stage, sort like a sort of sort of a stage or a play vibe that he gives off in, in his direction. There's a very, there's such a heavy thematic element to his direction, but I think the verdict hits a different tone as opposed to say network or dog day afternoon. It's got depth, but it's actually very subtle. If you ask me it, I I think I agree with that, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think so? The the thing here, and I think this might annoy listeners or it might annoy people who read my reviews on letterbox, but I cannot shut up about talking about this filmmaker because I'm going to have to mention him here again. Again. Quentin Frank Tarantino. Oh. Yeah, shut up. No. <laughs> I knew I was going to get sidelined here somewhere. But uh, okay, so Lumet is the, the verdict, I think, is his. It's a very Capra esque film, if you ask me, because it deals with. See, Frank Galvin, as I mentioned, played by Paul Newman, uh, he is just a downtrodden character seeking to reform his life and try to get himself back up top. And he finds that opportunity, but he chooses to take the hard way to get back on on top. And again, it's the individual versus the opposition, which is a slew of characters. Comes in the form of a woman, it comes in the form of a judge or a dishonest lawyer played by uh, James Mason, classic James Mason. And the archdiocese taking care of the hospital and trying to protect their doctors who basically killed a young woman, a young pregnant woman. And so again, like I said, it's a very quiet and more subdued form of Lumet's films, but also it's somewhat like a subdued form of Capra's enriching, like inspirational sort of uh, movies. Yeah. Spiritual. And, I thought that was very interesting. And I don't know if I'm just me, but I'm like, I'm seeing comparisons to the director in films I'm watching uh, nowadays. I, it's, it might be annoying to some people, but in this case, I really couldn't help but notice it because it's right there. It's just right in front of me. And uh, it might be my favorite of Lumet's work, to be quite honest. And that might, that might not be popular with a lot of people, people would probably choose something like Network to be their favorite Lumet, or actually 12 Angry Men, which I have not seen yet, and I'm, I'm aching to see at some point. Or even Dog Day Afternoon, too. Those three films there are 
always mentioned. Are those your three favorites, Chris? From they're the- actually not. And that's and that's what the whole. Oh, they're not. Wow. That's yeah. what that's what the podcast is about. Not following the mainstream and uh, trying to exactly. branch out. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah. I think Twelve Angry Men's worth watching once, but I, I honestly, I have that in my oh, notes. My it. notes. Yeah, I, I've seen it. I it doesn't do anything for me. Um, mm. And yeah, this this is definitely his better courtroom drama, in my opinion. Um, I do want right. to. I do want to see Network. I uh, have not seen that, that but I've seen Serpico. Not a fan at all, actually. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah, Network. And actually, my favorite Lumet movie that I've seen is actually a mystery, um, Murder on the Orient Express, the uh, Hercule, Hercule mm. Peru um, movie. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah. That's a great one. I like Ingrid that, Bergman. Right? Ingrid Bergman won her third Oscar for that, and she holds the Ooh. record to this day, I believe, for Oscar winner with the shortest amount of screen time in that movie. Really? I mean, yeah, yeah she's, there's like, it's a, I mean, mystery movies just always have like 15 or 20, you know, who, who, who did it? There's 15 or 20 options. And so she's not really, no one's really gives that much screen time except for, uh, I, I forget the British actor's name who plays Perot, but, um, Albert Finney, that's, it came back. Albert Finney. But, but yeah, it's, uh, I think the first director, yeah, Carol Reed, uh, first directed, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, right? Then after that came Lumet's remake. And then there was a third remake from Kenneth Branagh, I believe. Yeah. That's so, correct. Yeah. You can, you can one pass, film that you can got... pass on that one. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> but yeah, so you, so, uh, wait, Ben, you said you prefer this one over 12 Angry Men. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah. I just think that one's a little too convenient and it's really, really heavy handed with its McCarthy era politics message, which is, mm. you know, anti yeah anti huac which again uh for better right. or worse that you can have an opinion that's fine but when it comes through in your work so mm. blatantly for i think at the time i was you know 20 years old not really analyzing films but it was, when it was that heavy-handed it just to me it's just like it, it turns me off I, I don't like that i like subtle messaging not just like right in your face that's just that's just me you. that's just me yeah. definitely agree actually with you. No, I, I agree with you yeah, that actually happened on a rewatch for me on 12 Angry Men. I grew up with the movie. It was a grand, one of my grandfather's favorites. Um, I still think it's a great film. I just agree with Ben that it has less power than it did on an initial okay. viewing. So it's it's kind of an example. This is something I like to talk about in reviews sometimes where the where the message overshadows the art. The message and the art don't balance each other out. So would you say that 12 Angry Men kind of hits that 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 idea where the the art gets gets shrouded over by the message agreed is that is that fair to say oh okay. that That's is really interesting absolutely fair to say i would agree that with that fair. very very interesting like i said this oh well it, it, the the two movies the verdict the one we're covering tonight and that one i just think are totally different movies i mean that's a whole that's a courtroom 100 percent of the whole movie runtime basically besides well the jury mm-hmm. the jury are deciding on the on the verdict obviously um for most of the runtime mm-hmm. and that's kind of the, the verdict is a the verdict is a character study through and through yeah well, yes. which i which yes. i prefer yeah and th- that that's th- that's something that really uh hit me too because like i think that is the alluring quality of the verdict as opposed to other uh, like other forms of lumet's work that we just mentioned there is a, an alluring quality uh, the character study it's 
basically touching upon the virtue of selflessness and the virtue of humility. Again, that's also found in Frank Capra's films. But one thing that I really liked was going back to what I said about quieter and subdued. There's a subtlety about the verdict. Right when, right from the get-go when the film starts, you see the camera just sitting still and honing in on Frank as he, he's getting drunk, having a beer, and then playing pinball at the bar. And it's a very contemplative look at Frank's life. It's like you didn't even need much to be explained. You're kind of delving into not only what he's doing, but you're delving into his mind. You're delving into his soul and what he's going through. And then when it gets to... uh the fact that it shows him to be an ambulance chaser. And for those of you who don't know, an ambulance chaser is basically someone who is soliciting people to, you know, give him work basically as a lawyer, if that's an easy way to put it. I mean, is that an easy way to put it? There's more to it than that. I would agree for sure. Yeah. 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 So then you see that Frank is struggling because his law firm has failed. Um, but that's the thing about this film. There, there's a contemplative look at the characters. You don't. It's again. There's a less is more factor with Lumet's work in the verdict, and it it strikes me differently as opposed to the other movies. And I liked that. I really, really enjoyed that about uh, about this film. And you know, you don't. You eventually learn more about Frank's life through. Uh, Mickey, his his partner, who actually gives him the, you know, the case, the an easy case to just settle, not to tackle and bring to court. And uh, by the way, Mickey, I was going to mention this to you guys earlier, but I wanted to wait until now. Jack Warden, two in a row, baby. Yeah. Jack, Jack <laughs> Warden, two in a row after Donovan's Reef. And that's a funny thing because I I knew Jack Warden, but as when I first saw this film, I I was like, okay, that's Jack Warden. But then when we saw donovan's reef i i didn't even put two and two together i was like after the film i was like wait a minute that was jack warden oh shit yeah he's in so, he's in murder yeah. uh, he's in murder on the orient express as well he's a do, german oh, he's a he's, he, he's a german he's also he's also really? in 12 angry men uh boom there you go oh. <laughs> so he's, Lumet. A, he's a lumet yeah he, he's a lumet regular okay yeah. yes and That's interesting this though. is also the second film that we've covered produced by richard d zanuck yeah. Who produced uh, Rush? Rush. Yeah. Rush. Uh, yes. <laughs> interesting. So. Lily Philly Zanuck's father, or yep. I think. Yep. Yeah. Father. There we go. That's such a memorable name, Lily Finney Zanuck. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So the thing about um about this film, what I was saying about self selflessness and the uh, subtle quality of it, is that throughout the film you get to see. So before, again, before Jack Warden gives the, you know, the rundown to a character, Charlotte Rampling's character in the film as to like what happened to Jack, you see that he, even through just subtle images, when you see him in his dilapidated office, you see a silver crucifix on his wall. And eventually you, 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 you see like, okay, this is guy's a, he, he's, he, he's a, he's a Catholic, like a fallen Catholic kind of a, a lapsed Catholic. He's sort of left. Uh, he's lost all hope, basically, when he's trying to regain it. And throughout the film, you see him on the road to trying to get back, you know, win back his success, win back his hope for the future of his uh, of his career and of himself. And the thing about this one is that 
Lumet delivers on that just via subtle imagery. All you have to do is just pay attention and you kind of connect the dots. And that's something that I that I really enjoyed. I mean, it's not something that I... I do try to pay attention to stuff like that in film, but with the verdict, it just, it, it, it was right in front of me and I couldn't help but notice that there's a, again, it harkens back to like that contemplative lens from the, ver- from the get go, establishing the, sh- the establishing shot on Frank. It got, I guess for me, it just stuck with me and I began to look for things and pay attention to things and then eventually connect the dots. I don't know how, how you guys felt about that. Yeah, I mean, I like that I d- that first shot of him just getting drunk, like at eleven, you know, whatever, yeah. t- ten a.m., eleven a.m., and he's playing yeah, playing playing pinball. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't think it's that one, but he keeps going back to the same bar. And at one point, he's doing the same thing and like takes a raw egg and puts it in the in the beer and chugs it. Like, right? Yeah, he, he's just a de- <laughs> goes from total degenerate to you know, I guess we're spoiling it, but yeah, he goes from he redeemed himself basically. He redeems. He he redeems himself. Yeah, and, and following uh, following his character is what makes, at least for the second viewing, is what made the film better, in my opinion. Because when I saw this initially, I was expecting a really hardcore courtroom drama, and mm-hmm. I I like my fair share of courtroom dramas, and <laughs> I was always expecting that sort of big courtroom legal twist to happen, and it sort of does here but it doesn't hit the same way as it does in your regular courtroom picture. So right. seeing the end of Galvin's arc come to a close the way it does is actually more invigorating than what I picked up on the first time. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting way to tell the story just to keep that um, sort of a... it's The feel is it's sort of in a way you can say less it is triumphant but it's sort of less triumphant in in its delivery it's more so subtle and it relates to just frank's road back to uh self that's what makes it better yeah that's what makes it better it's 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 amazing it really is yeah it's actually really nice and uh, just to relate to there's a beautiful scene though because again like uh, like i mentioned in the summary i mean frank frank's you know, first or initial plan as per his partner played by Jack Warden was to take the case and settle it in order to receive a hefty amount of money in order to bring his law firm back up, you know, just put it back in business. But then he decides to take that risk. And, you know, it's like, I could just go ahead and lose it all, but I'm going to fight for this girl. And that scene in the hospital when he's taking a picture for evidence of the the girl in a coma and you see the pictures that have been printed and they're slowly developing they're ma- like the the images are slowly developing right in front of the camera and you're see it's like you're seeing it from Frank's point of view and then you begin to feel like oh man this is horrible like this is a this is really beginning to hit you and then you see Frank's face and then he looks up and sits down and then you realize, yeah, he's not just going to settle. He's going to he's going to fight for this girl, even though her life is legitimately not. It's literally gone. He's still going to fight for whatever's left. That that nurse comes in and asks him to leave like three times. And he's just looking at the ca- He's looking at the picture develop.
won't go in your pocket if there's nothing there. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> Sir, you're not allowed to be in here. You can't be in here. I'm her attorney. That was the pivotal moment when he kind of decided, like, I'm doing this. Exactly, yeah. And it's great to see. It, it's it's just so great to see. And then along the way, you know, you get Charlotte Ramp- Rampling's character, who uh, is, from what I remember, she is the ex-wife of a of a lawyer, an, un- an unnamed lawyer. And, you know, you, 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 like, Frank, like, of course, like, he, you know, has has some fun with her, and... The thing is, like, you're kind of wondering, like, what is she supposed to play in this scenario? And I guess, okay, well, we've already spoiled some of this, but uh, she happens to be, well, it turns out she's in the pocket of the, the not the plaintiff, the, the, the defense, uh, J- played by James Mason. Ken like Cannon. a really conniving. Ken Cannon. Yeah, Ed Ken Cannon. Yeah, played by played by James Mason, who was nicknamed by Ed, uh, Jack Warden's Mickey Morrissey. Is this, is this getting through to you? Do you know who the attorney for the Archdiocese is? Ed Kincannon. He's a good man. He's a good man? <laughs> He's the prince of fucking darkness. He'll have people testifying they saw a water skiing in a marblehead last summer. Now look, Frank, don't fuck with this case, huh? I gotta stand up for that girl. So a great he, nickname. Uh, yeah, it's a great nickname. And he... Yeah, it, it, so it turns out that Charlotte Rampling's character is in his pocket. And from here, I couldn't help but relate that to... Uh, if I don't know if you guys have read C.S. Lewis's the Screw Tape Letters. No, but, I have know, not. That, okay, well, the story is basically about a, a demon trying to... It's, 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 okay, so there's Uncle Screwtape, who is a demon, and he's writing letters to his, quote, Dear Wormwood, unquote, and his, that would be his nephew, a young, a novice demon, learning how to manipulate a person and turn him away from righteousness, away from humility, away from Christianity. And he's writing letters to him on how to do that and chastising him on when he fails or, you know, lauding him when he succeeds. And in a way, like, I just I might be crazy, but I couldn't help but see that in. Charlotte Rampling, I'm already forgetting her her character's name, but in a way, I saw that as uh, as Scru- as Uncle Screwtape and Dear Wormwood. There was a parallelism between Ed Kincannon and Charlotte Rampling's character, and in a way, so she was playing the foil. On top of everything else, she was basically the distraction, trying to turn. Paul Newman's character away from everything that he was trying to do to bring justice to the girl and her so, family. Laura, Laura Fisher, Laura Fisher. Yeah. Oh, and I felt I, that was, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, Kevin, I, I, to build off your little, um, CS Lewis, uh, reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't know Lumet's background. Like, is is he a Catholic? Is he a religious guy? Is no, he, he's anti-religious. No, I, he's, I, I don't know. No. Um, so, I don't know if it came through him or if it came through um, David Mamet's script, since he's the screenwriter, yeah. um, or the but, book itself. Yeah. So, yeah. So Laura's character to me, just reflecting back on it after you watch it, like that last scene, which I don't need. To, we don't need to spoil right now, but that kind of mm-hmm. drove it home to me that she was just temptation incarnate, right? 
basically yeah that's what it was that, to, to that was me, what she was yeah to yeah. me that's like either that or the devil incarnate whatever yeah but, but basically way, she's yeah. just that temptation that's always there because he's this you know aging you know he's not a bad paul newman's not a bad looking guy his character frank galvin's not a bad looking guy but <laughs> he's going to the bars all, you know you can kind of tell in the beginning yeah. he's going to the bars he's trying to get laid he's getting drunk <laughs> doing stupid stuff so yeah of course the the opposition are gonna hire this like you know, middle, younger than him, but middle-aged, like, good-looking woman to kind of, you know, go in there and... Deduce him. It, 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 well, it, it, him, yeah. it didn't take any effort at all, honestly, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It um, didn't. Not at all. Not at all. Mm-hmm. He, he's a guy who's at, like, basically the low end of the rope. You know, he's on the verge of falling down even further. And then it it only takes this case to bring him back to the ideal lawyer that he had aimed to be in the very beginning, and it was, uh, yeah, it's it, 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 the way it was portrayed was very, I don't know, like, I, it, it, it's just excellent the way it was portrayed and to see his climb back to, back to sanity. And you see, again, so like, I just want to touch back on imagery and like the subtlety. So, like I said before, you see a silver crucifix hanging on his wall in, in his dilapidated office, right? And then, Eventually, when, you know, he brings Laura back to his apartment after they, you know, hang out at the bar for a bit, and she sees Frank's ex-wife, uh, a, a framed picture of his ex-wife on the bedside table, and she's like, oh, wondering who, who's that? And then, you know, you kind of see, I don't know if it's just me, but you see the dichotomy between his ex-wife and, and Laura, and... Laura has this very sniveling look in her eye every single time. Very seductive, very sniveling, seductive look in her eye. And then you look at the framed picture of Frank's ex-wife, like very sweet, very angelic. Not only that, but right next to her picture is, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but there there's a rosary right next to her picture. Did, did you, you notice guys, that? Did you guys see that? You, you did? Yeah. yeah. So I, it's I picked like, up you, on that as well as the crucif- crucifix on the wall. Yeah, so you see that Frank is sort of he's delving into he's delving into sin and he's delving into temptation. He's at a very low point in his life and he doesn't really have the strength to overcome that yet. And and from from then on and then you get to his great uh his final his closing statement uh after the trial when he he goes in and he talks about he even quotes scripture as it act as if ye had faith. And you see that, okay, he's still climbing up to that road. He's still climbing that road back to sanity. And then, again, when you get to the, the very end, like you mentioned, Ben, I don't want to, I guess we don't want to spoil it yet or right now. But at the very end, when uh, he has won or he's, uh, you know, he's back, he, he's back to his same old self, ideally his same old self, throughout the film, he had been you know, getting drunk. He had been asking for two Bushmills. He'd been drinking whiskey. He's going on and on and just almost drinking himself to death. And the last shot of Frank is him taking a sip of coffee. And then it ends. It's like, you know, what? I, I, there's a way of using uh, subtle movements and subtle imagery to drive home a character's triumphant return to like morality and well, he he looks that, incredibly relieved in that. Yeah, he looks incredibly relieved. Right? Yeah, and it's great. I just I don't know. This is something about this film and the way it uses uh, elements like that. 
just really, it really hits home. I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but subtlety is something that I really do enjoy in, in movies. Yeah, so I want to just say that knowing Sidney Lumet, you kind of touched on this already, Kevin, but you mentioned how his how this feel, film feels less stage-produced than mm-hmm. some of his other work, and I agree with you there. This feels a little bit more in the open, not really confined at all, um, mm-hmm. but still also the heavy character study that Lumet was always fascinated with, with the stage work that he covered, because throughout his career, he was always adapting plays yes. to the silver screen, yes. uh-huh. which is more or less one of his trademarks, as well as filming typically in New York City. He loved, he loved filming in New York City. Uh, he's like Scorsese. In a way. Yeah, in a way, in a way. Uh, Lumet definitely filmed outside of the city, but he mostly concentrated on the urban setting, and he always used New York City as a character. Mm-hmm. So it, it was interesting in this film to see him in Boston, but still capture right, yeah. all of the things that made Boston, that makes Boston unique or charming in its own way. Boston. Mm-hmm. Boston. Yeah. I, yeah. So he, yeah. So that is somewhat similar to Scorsese, like trying to make New York City or the, you know, a character in, in the film. So, for example, like say Taxi Driver, like very, very big part of the film and, uh, and a character. Same thing with, say, let's take it back to Big Country. The Big Country uses uh, that setting as a character as well. Right? That's, that's more my speed, baby. <laughs> that's your speed. <laughs> but yeah, that is something. So yeah, Lumet hasn't really... They've all... Chris, you said they've all been adaptations of Most of plays, them of, of books, most of them. Um, I, I gotta say, so going in relation to that... I mean, I have not had an issue with Lumet's films and Serpico. I, I I didn't really enjoy that one as much, just like you, Ben. That's a very much an Al Pacino vehicle, but uh, I might have a different thought when I see it again. But I got to say that my most, um, my least favorite Lumet's, uh, my least favorite of Lumet's filmography is Death Trap, based on the um, on a play. And, I actually uh, I don't know agree you guys... with you. I think. Um... Yeah. I'm just checking really quick right now. Oh no, yeah. it's not Death Trap, but that's oh, that's really? toward the bottom. I he did a Is movie, it? uh, 2004 called Strip Search. Really, oh, heavily handed in its in its political, in its mm. political messaging, and mm-hmm. definitely not. It's also stagey. I don't know if that one's based on a play. It might be. You said oh oh four. Is that related somehow to the? Iraq war or something. <laughs> it's yes, yeah, you're it's, actually exactly uh, right. It's, can, I literally don't yeah. know. I, I don't know anything about it. That's so freaking cliche. <laughs> <laughs> it actually more focuses on the Patriot Act. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. Very okay. similar. Very, very, it's, it's related. a statement film. Related. It's a statement film. It's a statement film. Related. And that, yeah. that's so far the worst I've seen. And I've seen 18 uh, Lomat films. I didn't get to mention when you guys were talking about your favorites, I did not get to say what mine were. Um, those would be The Hill from 1965 starring Sean Connery and oh, Prince yes. of the City from 1981 starring yes. Treat Williams. Uh, so that's my uh, one of my notes. I, I want to oh, see damn. that one really bad. 
and that's I know that's like almost a three hour cop movie, so it's epic. Yeah. <laughs> it's epic. Um, it's that it's and... a great so, go ahead. No, no, you're good. I was just gonna say Prince of the City is a really excellent example of how Lumet was a really great storyteller in the cinematic realm. The way that it's the way that it's shot and the way that everything breaks down is is excellent. So I highly recommend Prince of the City. Wow. Highly, highly recommend The Hill, which is probably my favorite. Um, the well, Hill, I know for a fact, is based on a play. Well, we might be covering Prince of the City. Not very soon, but in a, I, I already had that kind of on my laundry list. Um, so I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, that's, awesome. that's on my Kevin, watch list already. Yeah, so... Yeah, we don't want to start. I'm going to re-add it to the watch list, but <laughs> we don't we don't want to lumet with this to be a lumet podcast. But maybe in a few months we'll uh, cover that because I'm, yeah, I'm really yeah, interested. Definitely. And uh, if high, I think you have it at a ten out of ten, Chris, if I remember correctly. So that's pretty highly praised. I do, yeah. and I have not seen Prince of the City in probably eight years. All right, so let's put that on the list um, to re- rediscover for Chris and for us to discover, Kevin. Um, but yeah, that definitely. and that and network. Uh, I'm interested to see network. I have yeah, that, Kevin. That, that that's actually on my. Uh, that's on my um, overrated '70s cinema uh, <laughs> list on Letterbox. That got so many but people it, pissed yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, but you haven't seen it yet, or no, you no. did? You just forgot. No, yeah, yeah, you just put it there. Because I just put I made that list and I got so much hate on that. I loved it. I loved it. Um, That's so funny. But I, yeah. I think you'll uh, I, I think you'll you'll see some value in network uh, in relation to just what goes on in the media, what goes on in the news. Um, but yeah, that, that's yeah, basically I, as far as probably I go. pretty, yeah. pretty relevant to today's climate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um. But yeah, I think like uh, of the films that I'd seen from Lumet, I think a lot of them do hold a lot of substance. Death Trap holds for my for me for my experience with Lumet the least substance, and it is just like in my really just evil characters all around. Entertaining in terms of like you know wit or or maybe the the attempt at wit, but I just man, gosh. You know, I guess like Chris, like going back to like El Topo when we saw like value and like just no value, like a lot of emptiness in that film. That's how Death Trap was to me in a way. Like there was just no value. I could see that. I, I, it was just evil in my opinion. It was just a completely evil film. And it's like, yeah. I don't I don't find any of this funny. It's meant to be funny, but it's I don't find any of this funny. And also I hated seeing Christopher Reeve and Michael Caine in those roles. I just didn't like them as obviously good actors and they play their parts well, but I just did not like seeing both of those characters, uh, both of those actors playing uh, those characters. You didn't like seeing my cocaine? What the hell, man? <laughs> my cocaine. <laughs> I remember that being a thing. When I, I, well, I forgot where I saw that. Someone said, if you say it in a way, it sounds like he, it sounds like you're pronouncing Michael Caine's name as my cocaine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello, I'm, I'm Michael Caine. Mike, Michael, Michael Caine. Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Cockney accent, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, of the ones that I've seen, though, the verdict holds so much value and I think holds a lot of relatability just, you know, um, in terms of, I guess, like, you know, I guess we can all three can relate to this, like, guilty Catholic here, Catholic guilt. And, you know, there's like the the uh, vices, like uh, the sin, like temptation. There's lust, there's all that stuff, and then it's like a climb back to sanity, a climb back to morality, and uh, and it really is, uh, in my opinion, 
uh, Lumet's most Capra-esque film. I mean, people say Lynchian. No one has said anything about Cap Caprin. I don't know. That, that's not a term that's going to stick very well. We'll work on that so, one. Uh, we'll work on that one. Right now, I just we'll say figure Capra-esque. It out. We'll figure it out. But that's my... Uh, yeah, I love the verdict, man. It's... No, that's cool, Kevin. I, um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about some symbolism a little bit. Yeah. So you bring up, or you brought up, the intro scene where we meet Galvin. Mm-hmm. And he's playing pinball. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to throw something at the wall and I'll see if you like what I'm saying here. So in the intro scene, we got pinball ringing, which it's, it's naturally a jarring thing, unpleasant, sort of a cluttered feeling, often a sign of rebellion or toughness, and that really encapsulates Galvin's character right from the get-go. So, again, with subtlety, even though Pinball itself might not be subtle, but I think the introduction to his character without him saying anything, we're getting this idea of where he is in life. So Galvin yes. is all of the he's all of these things. He's off yes. track, he's un, he's unpleasant, he's perhaps cluttered in mind and spirit. Yes. And he's certainly questioning his own confidence in how he carries his toughness. And yes. People who have hit rock bottom have a grit about them. They also have a desire to reach for things that are out of their grasp. And Galvin has literally been banged around for some time and he's looking for his free quote unquote extra ball as what what you get when you play a game of pinball. And then that's so that, that wow. That really that really stuck with me. And then I want to connect yeah. it to a later scene because now I think the bookends of this film are brilliant. So you have that intro scene where we're introduced to his character with the pinball ringing sound. Then you go to the immediate final scene and you have Galvin who is relieved he but he's listening to a phone rigging which symbolizes a calling from a higher being and mm-hmm. Galvin's final summation he states that his religion says quote act as if you have faith faith will be given to you end quote yes. and the symbols of a desire for justice are spoken about where he also says quote they are in fact a prayer a fervent and frightened prayer end quote Yes, And we see him experience previously all of those things. And that we later see come from Laura's character when she's calling him. And he's re- reinvigorated in spirit. Um, yes. So I think that's interesting how you have the symbolism of the phone ringing. And how that, how that differs from where he was at the beginning of the film with the pinball ringing. Yes, I agree with that. That's great that you, that, that, that you noticed that. And that yeah, you mentioned so... The, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to throw it out there. I don't know if no, that's digging yeah. too deep, but no, 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 um, no, 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 no. That that's great. I love that. I love that. Well, I think that's. So, I think, it's, I think, I, I think that's exactly deep. right. Yeah, <laughs> that well, makes it you. makes it makes so much sense. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, honestly. You know, it's clarity. You, you see that clarity there, and well, yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned that piece of scripture there. And, it, and, and well, yeah, when he says that these are merely symbols, like these statues, the, the lawyers know the people. You are the law, and then he quotes scripture and relates it to that. I act as if he had faith, and faith will be given to you. Yes, and I yeah, that's I think that's perfect the way you explained it. Thank you, and I I yeah. want to also say that how we've established that this is a finding finding your 
spiritual answers or coming to terms with the spiritual side of you. As much as that is a film about that for Galvin, it's also a really subtle critique on the justice system, which I yes, it is. I appreciated that because you have you have Concanon literally reaching into people's pockets. He's he's tempting them with money and vacations and whatever whatever he can do. He uses the political machine to berate and to override uh, Newman's character. And the way that the court scene unfolds still shows Concanon knows his stuff. He has the team that he, he has the perfect team. He still gets the answer that he wants in the courtroom, but it's the human factor and the spiritual side of the redemption that Galvin is looking for that ultimately comes through and wins the case, which it wasn't, as I mentioned, not as rewarding the first time I saw this because I was like, I was, I think I was bummed out because I, I thought, oh, legally he didn't win the case. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But seeing it this time, I was like, he won the case and he has the spiritual redemption that he was looking for. So it hit harder for me this time. Right. It's amazing. I, yeah, that's perfectly said. Well, I, I, now, I to add real quick to that Ed Kincannon um, bit. I do not know if this is deliberate on Lumet's part or David Mamet's part or just the way it came out. But now that we're all kind of <laughs> we're kind of wrapping this mm-hmm. up, wrapping this up with a nice little bow on top. Wouldn't yeah. you say that Concanon and his whole, you know, all of his flunkies that, you know, he has all these, I don't know, the law students or whatever, but he's got all these people doing dirty work for him. Um, wouldn't that wouldn't he be basically like the devil? I mean, he's just yeah. constantly. Yeah. Now, is, I, I don't think Lumet would met. I don't think Lumet would have meant that on purpose because I, I feel like he's. Well, I feel like he's probably a pretty agnostic guy, just from he, like. He, yeah, he's like an he's like a, an agnostic Jew. I think that's yeah. what Lumet okay. is. Well, it makes sense. Um, he literally yeah, is the devil great... of this film, manip- manipulating people, manipulating his whole team, his little team of demons, knowing that they're being dishonest about everything, making the doctors lie uh, when they're under oath, and manipulating other others to try oh, to the, overturn uh, this case the the judge i wanted to punch in the freaking face so many damn times oh yeah. that guy is so obnoxious and with this <laughs> with this irish whatever boston brahmin or whatever accent that was i was like yeah. i want to punch this guy in the face so bad <laughs> milo o'shea yeah there you yeah. go yeah yeah plenty of o'shea yeah, so lad- <laughs> mm-hmm. also i think i don't think i don't think paul newman is really known for or is even recognized for uh playing a character like this i mean i haven't seen as many paul newman not that many paul newman movies the one that i as far as i as far as i I can reach back it's mainly butch cassidy and the sundance kid which i haven't seen in a very long time you don't need to paul newman you know (laughs) i don't need to overrated i hate that movie um regardless i I, I do want to say before you say what you're going to say about paul newman yeah i get him like as a kid, I would always, when I was looking at VHS cases or whatever DVDs, as like you know, ten years old, I'd always get him and Steve McQueen mixed up for some reason because they both yeah, have like really? the same kind of haircut in the '60s, the same blue, like, blue, eyes. blue eyes, the same kind of blue face eyes. facial structure. Uh, yeah, I'm more. I've seen a lot more of McQueen stuff, and I, I kind of like him more. But I do think Newman. If you take him out of this movie, it's not as good. I think he did a really good job. Uh, exactly, his, his performance. I think- 
it seems like he's just not known for kind of a, a kind of performance like this, where he's playing this sort of selfless kind of character. And it worked so well. And that I think I'll see like, again, I mean, it might not be, might not be, be fair to, for me to say this, but I think this is also my favorite Newman film. I haven't, uh, even though I haven't seen that many Newman films. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> it's been twenty years since I've seen Cool Hand Luke, but I really want to see that again. Uh, I, that, need, I that, need to see that one myself. That's one that everyone talks about. Yeah. I was going to bring um, that up because that was that was my favorite. That was my favorite Newman for a long time. I haven't seen it. Hmm. I haven't seen it in quite some time, though. I see Newman. That's... I see Paul Newman like every single summer when I'm eating his salsa. <laughs> or a salad dressing and his, or, or that his <laughs> honestly it's the food's pretty damn good <laughs> it is <laughs> oh, yeah so i want to i want to mention another thing about the final scene or not the final scene but the final courtroom scene mm-hmm. kevin you you've been you know we've been going back and forth about the spiritual aspect of this film mm-hmm. and i don't know if you've caught this but there's a really brilliant moment coming from Lumet and his restrained direction mm-hmm. that highlights the whole scene. Right when the jury comes in and says the verdict, there's a camera shot that comes from high. He moves, Lumet moves the camera from the announcement of the jury's verdict. It's a vertical thrust from up high going downward. And I took this to mean that Galvin's prayers had been answered in a way. So it's a very it's a very spiritual technical move. You, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should go back and watch it because I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's yes, you're. It's a shot on Galvin, right? When it, it's it, on it's Galvin, it starts yeah. up high and it swoops uh-huh. down to him like a prayer is being answered. That's and I think amazing. It's a, I think it's a really excellent choice by Lumet to do this because the rest of the courtroom scenes are very stagnant or faraway shots. Yeah, and. At at the climax, we get this little creative movement from him, and I think it ties the spiritual aspect of the film together, along with the following scene when he's hearing the phone ring, the temptation knocking or ringing, you know, in his face, yeah. and then he's not <sighs> answering so it because he's relieved. That, that's great. That is really great. Oh, man, yeah, I, we were, I didn't care. <laughs> I know what you're talking. I, I I do remember the camera shot, but I didn't take it that way. Now I'm never gonna forget this when I watch yes. this film again. I'm never gonna forget that. That's fantastic. I think if you I think if you watch it again, you might jump out of your seat. <laughs> oh, I think I would. <laughs> I, I had a note written down that I'd you know seen it twice and I don't need to rewatch this film, but I guess I do now because that's we're all yeah. we're talking about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I miss. I either just didn't get that or I spaced out. Uh, during that because i don't remember the camera doing that i so i don't know like if the ringing thing is intentional what i my analysis for that but the camera movement is totally the the camera movement is totally intentional so Mm -hmm. well i I don't think you know i guess i wasn't paying attention hard enough like i already said but he did not move the camera uh much like the actual access of the camera transition that like he moved the camera sideways back and forth up and down but he never did yes. that much in in the like no there wasn't many crane shots there were a couple shots from up above or you know they, the camera was already there but um yeah that's probably pretty yeah. jar- jarring i don't know why i don't remember that 
And he played, Lumet plays with angles a little bit too because there's that scene after the first or second courtroom scene after he interviews the African-American doctor. And they got shooting up, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, the camera angle's up looking at Mickey and looking at Galvin while they're talking to Dr. Thompson. Mm-hmm. And, well, and there's also, I remember th- I, there's also the, the camera angle. There's a, there's a really widescreen shot of the courtroom at one point where like all the people in the back. Yes. And then there's also, yes. a, there's also a similar shot like that when it's inaudible, but it's when, Jack Warden's going and telling on Laura. Um, Mickey's ta- telling on Laura to to uh, Frank Galvin that hey, she's a freaking snitch. And there's no you don't hear yes. what, you don't hear what he's saying, but it's it's from top to bottom, and you you know what he's saying obviously because Frank's yeah. reaction. Um, what about that scene after that when he goes and confronts her? Right, miss. Come here. You, you got him. Yeah. You okay? Well, I think he hit her. Yeah. All right. Leave him alone. You okay? I'm all right. Thank you. Shall I call a cop? That was that was intense. I had forgotten about that scene. Yeah, it's an intense one. Yeah, I know that's that's that scene uh, alone has generated a lot of controversy. I think among viewers. Well, but, I mean, yeah, when I first when I first yeah, of course it would. But I mean, when I first saw it, yeah, it, it was intense. It was that was pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it. I think it was kind of. I mean, I don't <laughs> support what he do, did, but right. I I think that it's really good for the film because it's like nothing bad like that or in. I guess tense like that really happened the entire time. It was all just kind of like expected bad things happening during his case, but that was just kind of like a literally a slap in the face to the viewer because it it was the only kind of scene in the entire movie with that kind of just yes. cres- crescendo. Well, yes. it wasn't really a crescendo; it's like more of a staccato, but whatever. whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was an accent on the emotional beats of the film. Yes, uh-huh. yes, and that's why I think the vertical movement of the camera in the final courtroom scene is is pivotal to understand because there's nothing else like it in the rest of the movie and it perfectly encapsulates Galvin's the end of his arc the end of his redemptive journey his prayers are answered yeah it's like the only dynamic shot of the entire film yes yes and that's yeah and then yeah it's really special coming from Louette too I think I, I really think he was a master at at his craft but being a not so religious person at least not in public i think it's a pretty it's a pretty well understood he understands what he's shooting and yeah i give him a lot of credit for that it, i think really from the from lumet's movies it's the, the cinema the cinematic language of or the visual language that lumet utilizes in the verdict it really it really does a good job of uh speaking to the themes of of the film itself and of the character study of frank galvin like i like i mentioned that just the the cinematography everything everything about it it really helps it really helps uh 
it tangos very well with the humility, with the selflessness, and that road back to triumph. And I think, yeah, I've, this is, from what I've seen from Lumet, yeah, this is my favorite. This is my favorite of his, uh, uh, of his films. This is, and, this is up there for me. Yeah. 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 I, one last comment I wanted to make is in that final scene also, I think we are all Jack Warden in that moment when he looks up and he's like, oh, thank God, the jury came back. You know, like, we, oh, we, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we're, we're all so relieved. Yes. <laughs> and the reaction, yes. <laughs> it's like a split second moment, but he's, his reaction is perfect. Yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> even though this was a second watch for me, I kind of totally forget how much it's just building up that you're like, you're waiting to see what happens. And the way the case went, it was absolutely horrible. Like, you don't think he has a chance in hell, but he, Exactly. Come, comes out on top. Um, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that, yeah, you're right. We are, we are him in that, and Jack Warden's character. Yeah, We're all Uncle Mickey. <laughs> Uncle it's, Mickey. Yeah. It's commentary. It's definitely commentary on how the political machine works and how it doesn't always work the right way, which we see in cinema all the time. Like that's yeah, broken exactly. down. That's broken down pretty obviously, but mm. here the subtlety or the distinction is how the human factor really plays a role in, in countering the legalities of everything. Yes, exactly. Again, like going back, it's very Capra esque. It's the, the, it's the rugged individual going up against the totally overarching opposition. And again, machine. Like just, uh, the machine, yeah. And again, again, a commentary on the justice system. It's it's quite similar to uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with uh, Jimmy Stewart's... Uh, I was literally uh, just about to say that. You were going to say that? Because oh, you, you, you just, you, just uh, you recommended me get that. I got it on yeah. Blu-ray and it's been, yeah. been years since I saw it. I didn't even have it checked in on Letterboxd. That's how long... Like I probably saw it when I was eight. So it's very, very similar... Um, that ending is a little more abrupt in that movie, but um. it, it is, yeah, it, it is. But you know, like you, you see the individual trying to strive against such great odds, and it looks like he's at the point of failure. It's like, why even bother to to continue? Because this system is just bigger than you are. How are you going to overcome it? And then he does, and it it's great. But that's the that's the difference between what Lumet does here and with what Capra does in Mister Smith Goes to Washington. He he gives you a totally and wholly triumphant feel and an enriching quality to that uh, to the success of your protagonist whereas in Lumet's film again subtlety and it tangos really well with the humility and well I, I, I think he lets you it's almost like the conflict resolution in literary you know English class literary class <laughs> from like eighth grade where the movie uh you know it's a pyramid that is only a half, like one side of it's only half. It comes down. Like you get the conflict, yeah. you get the resolution, and then it really, it's almost like the last two minutes of this movie. It's kind of, it's kind of just like, I don't know how to put it in words. It, it's almost just not a letdown. It's, it's just very, like you said, I guess subtle is a way to put it, but it's just, yeah. it's mm -hmm. like, all right, we're done. Like it's very, con like, oh, right, you feel good? All right, good. <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not like a like mr smith goes to washington just because we already brought that up that mm -hmm. i mean that movie's like he's successful and it's like oh the end 
They, they don't give they don't give you a chance. Um, Capra doesn't give you a chance in that movie to like come down off your high. But in this movie, come down off, yeah, you kind of get that with that last. We we can spoil it. Um, you know, after yeah. at, after they walk out, he sees um Frank Galvin and and Mickey are walking out, and and he sees uh, Laura. He looks at her, still starts walking, and then looks back to see if she's there, and she le- she left. And uh, yep. one of you guys can take it away with with the last scene. It's like it's like temptation incarnate, or the little demon has given up and has disappeared in a way. Yeah, like that abrupt disappearance by Laura. It's like wow, that's very beautiful. It's like okay, I'm not going to be tormented anymore by evil. That's how I saw it in Frank Galvin's eyes. It's like hey, she's gone. <laughs> but then she. She calls him back one more time. She tries, as a demon would always do. We'll try to try to get you back and uh, try to make you fall again. And he doesn't succumb to it. Yep. In her brief moment, right before we go back to Galvin, she's lying in bed with a hot cloth on her eyes. So again, symbolically here that the demon's been blinded or however you want to interpret that. But she's, wow, that's great. Yeah, she's, she's in a very different state of mind in that brief moment. And then we go to Galvin. I think it's totally opposite. She's almost become like him. She's drinking, smoking, and she's given up all hope. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, how the tables have turned. (laughs) I love it. I love that. Yeah. This was a great pick, Kevin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm really glad both of you guys liked it. Yeah. There was, there was a lot to love here. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I really now I want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. So, ready so, to rate so what, this? What do you, yeah, ready to rate this. I'll, uh, I guess I'll go first since I picked it. Or yeah, go, you go first, you, Kevin. Okay. For me, it was originally at a nine out of ten. However, that I probably will bring this up to a ten out of ten. Oh honestly. wow! Yeah. Very nice. Another yeah. another one. <laughs> another one. Yeah. Another one. <laughs> Another one. Yeah, I I would say I had this rated at a three and a half out of five, a seven out of ten, in other words, and I'm bumping this up a full star, so I'm gonna go up to a four and a half out of five. Nice. Yes. All right. Yes. All righty. I really much. appreciated. I really appreciated the character study and my. I I'm I'm gonna run with my interpretations of the symbolism. I, think, I love your interpretations of the symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it, it just makes the film, it makes the film that much better for me. Mm-hmm. It enriches the film, really. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I had, I had it at a seven out of ten, and I've, it's been th- three or four years. But I, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's not. I, I definitely enjoyed watching it. I like, I liked the movie. But there's just something about it. Like it feels like a prestige picture to me, released in December, right before, or I guess right during Oscar season. Like you know, the mm. the the cli- well, this was the cliche Oscar bait, right? Well, let's uh, not forget this was nominated for five Oscars. I don't think we said that yet. Yeah. Oh yeah, we not we that know. as I said earlier today to Kevin, Oscars don't really mean <laughs> shit to me. But um, <laughs> well, I don't really mean. I mean to back, me either. So. But back in the '80s, they definitely were held in much higher regard than they are today. Of um, course, yeah, they've devolved into a real pit of pit of disgust. But I'm it, sorry, it almost just for those felt of you like the Oscars. Yeah, I mean, if you like the Oscars, I'm sorry, but you need to <laughs> reevaluate your life, sir. No, um, <laughs> I, there's just something about it that's holding me back from 
enjoying it as much as you guys, but I do respect your both of your opinions. So, um, are you staying at a three and a half? No, I'm gonna give it a seven and a half out of ten. I'll, I'll rate it. I'll round it up to an eight out of ten on Letterbox. Um, I do. Oh, that's solid. I yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I do. I do. I do that's think. Good. I do think people should watch this. It's probably Lou Metz. Like again, I don't know anything about his filmography except for like the top, you know, the, the popular five or six, and this is not one of them. I don't mm-hmm. think. Maybe it is. I don't. I don't know. But uh, I think that this is definitely. I, I would watch this. Let's just say, and I, I would tell everyone from now on, from this day on, do not watch Twelve Angry Men. Watch this movie. <laughs> that's just me. Watch this one instead. Yeah, that's me. This oh, is man. this is top shelf Lou Metz. Absolutely. This is top shelf the med, yeah. Another and one thing I just wanted. Oh yeah, go on. I was just gonna say another character study movie that I've seen the second quote unquote second one, but not the first one is uh, the Color of Money with, uh, with Paul Newman and uh, also yeah. Tom Cruise. Another oh. character study, kind of similar. Like oh, shoot, I really like that one. I think if I had to pick between the, uh, this uh, the verdict and Color of Money, I'd prefer that just because I like uh, Tom Cruise. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. I think that I need to watch that one. You myself. haven't seen that? Okay, yeah, watch that. No, I haven't. Watch that. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that one either. That'd be like a perfect double pairing, I think, for this movie. Ooh, the color of money. Okay. Yeah, it's well to give you a background. There's a there's a first one. I forget when it came out. Like a, when I say first one, there's a there's a movie and then a kind of a sequel. Kind a hustler. Of, yeah. He okay. The hustler. There you go. Haven't seen that. I, I think Color of Money was just on Amazon Prime one day three or four years ago, and I was like, yeah, I'll watch that. Whatever. Paul Newman's in it and Tom Cruise. Cool. And it's just about a guy who plays pool and he obviously hustles and he takes on a protege in the second one. Um, and he's a lot older. So I think color money is in the early eighties, if I'm not mistaken, Chris. Yes. And it's, it's a flipped script or actually the same script from the hustler essentially where Paul Newman was the up and coming guy in the first film and yeah. Jackie Gleason of the honeymooners was the, was the old rugged mentor? He's the or, pro. He's the seasoned pro. That's yeah. He's the season exactly. He's the veteran. Wait, yeah. Hang on. That's a Scorsese flick, and Tom Cruise was in a Scorsese flick. That is oh okay. Yeah, you'll like. I it. I just added that to the watch list. Oh yeah, yeah. you'll like it. <laughs> I think I'll like it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, but yeah. I wanted to say really. I was just gonna. What I wanted to say. Yeah. No, you're good. <laughs> Well, sorry. What I wanted to say really quickly was, I think, uh, you know, the verdict is also, well, Frank Galvin is also pretty relatable because I think we've all been through those times where it's like, you know, you're kind of in that phase of life where you don't even know what to do, or you're really just, you're really kind of down uh, in the depths, like mentally, you're like, okay, what do I do now? And I kind of was that way after college. And, you know, it, it took some time to try to get my bearings back and then finally get to a point in life where you found uh, that meaning, you found that success and uh, you want to stay there. And just the feeling of relief when you've found a meaning to like your journey through life is a very satisfying thing. And that's something that Frank Galvin has found in this film. Well said. Awesome. So Ben, the searcher score what is, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. what is the verdict? <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Loved it. Oh, the ver the 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 verdict, yeah, the searcher score for the verdict is eight point eight. So I think it's a a recommend. Must watch. A must watch. Oh, yeah, must watch. Okay. Well, maybe we'll come must up with watch. a watch. 
we'll just be official and have a scale. Anything over whatever is a is a must. Yeah. But yeah. Sweet. With that, is uh, that is that the second uh, second highest, right below big country? No, uh, I think. Third Don- Donovan's Reef was a nine. So. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. So. All right, guys. Yeah, it's it's a must watch for people that like courtroom dramas. Even though my cousin Vinny is the best. Come on. I do love my cousin Vinny. That's a great film. Yeah. Two Utes. Yeah. Two Utes. <laughs> so, oh, just wow. a reminder to our listeners, I want to say to give us remember to give us a rating or leave a comment. We appreciate all feedback. Um, and as far as our podcast goes, the jury is still out on what we're what our rating is. I'm still continuing these puns if you guys yeah. can't tell. Give us give us I'm a, really I'm really stretching going. it here. I want you to keep going. G- give us a twelve out of twelve jurors. <laughs> please, please. Um but yeah, you can uh, give us any feedback on our personal letterbox accounts if you really want to get I guess personal. Um but you can email us <laughs> as, as well at the searchers podcast at gmail dot com. Uh if you email us and you have a Gmail, you'll see that our name that the that the account's name is ethan edwards don't think it's weird it's just, it just is what it is <laughs> <laughs> a little easter egg perfect. for people yeah perfect i love it so all right kevin i'll let you uh outro us thanks for sitting down having a little chat with us listening to us talk about sydney limits the verdict uh it's definitely a recommend until next time guys We'll catch uh, you, later. you You missed the chance, Kevin. I wanted you to say court adjourned. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. All right, let's Who's do it a, again. Screw it. Who's got a gavel? <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> Court's adjourned. <laughs> <laughs>